But we are looking at chapter 3 this morning, and last week we began unpacking the reality that a spiritual, uh, uh, that spiritual health and church unity is ultimately a matter of our hearts. Our hearts, number one, and secondly, it is a matter of our focus. We saw that from verses 1 to 9 last week. Spiritual health as individuals, spiritual health as a church, spiritual unity as individuals one with another, spiritual unity as a church as a whole, it involves our hearts. In our hearts, there needs to be a growing faith that we take in God's word and then we seek to live it out. Our focus is that we are to have a conscious looking to Christ above people, above preferences, above cultural wisdom. In fact, we see from uh, the first uh, four verses of chapter 3 where Paul is talking about these believers that are they're acting fleshly. They're characterized as infants. They had somewhere along the line stopped progressing. They were fighting one with another. They were off focus. And verses 5 to 9 then show one of the main things that they were, that they were fighting over and that was creating disunity was among these leaders that they were supposedly following. In chapter 1, Paul mentions some say I am of Paul, some say I'm of Apollos, some say I'm of Cephas, and then some say, well, I'm of Christ. But their, their attitudes and actions betray that. And here in, verses, in verse 5, uh, Paul specifically mentions where the main controversy was in the church. It was between um, those that followed Paul versus Apollos. And as the rest of that section, verses 6 to 9 uh, make clear, Paul says, we are, Paul says, Apollos and I are on the same page. We are doing God's work, and we are unified. But your focus is off of the gospel. It is off of God, and it is on to people, and it's creating problems in your lives and in the church. Verse 9 concludes by Paul showing us that we all have our place in God's work. In verse 9, Paul says, for we are God's fellow workers. There he's specifically talking about the spiritual leaders of the church. He's talking about Paul as an apostle. He's talking about Apollos as a teacher of the gospel. If we are doing the work of the Lord, we are fellow workers. And then he says, church, you are God's field. And these people that God has gifted the church with are, are doing a gospel work in your lives. So do not idolize those individuals. Focus on the message. You are God's field, God's building. Now, as we continue to look at this reality of church unity and what that looks like, how that comes about, we have to, before we can continue, we have to stop and look at what Paul means when he says that the church, 
at the end of verse 9 is not only God's field, but God's building. It was pretty obvious what Paul's picturing here when he says you are God's field, because if you remember last week, he's giving the image of a farmer, that Paul and Apollos, one is, pl- is planting seeds in the field, and the other is watering, and God's the one that is producing the harvest. And the church is God's field. But what does he mean when he says the church is also God's building? Is Paul just coming up with these pictures randomly? Well, we're going to see from the context of, of the rest of the chapter that what Paul is talking about when he says God's building is that the church is God's temple. And, and I just want to give you a couple verses to, to show this to you. And, and throughout verses 10 to 15 this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at what Paul is, is really saying here concerning church leaders and church members. Because Paul is drawing heavily from the Old Testament. And, and many times when we read verses 10 to 15, we think of our individual lives. Well, what am I building on the foundation that has been given to me? And that is a good application, and we need to be thinking along those lines. But in the context of what Paul is is saying, he's thinking primarily, what is the church building on the foundation that has been given? How are church leaders building to equip and edify the body, how are they building to promote a healthy church? So Paul's main point that he's getting at is church health, and then by application, individual health. Many times we we immediately jump to What am I building in my individual life? And and this passage is actually talking about what are we building as a church to promote health in the church? Because guess what? Healthy churches mean healthy individuals, and healthy, spiritually healthy individuals mean a healthy church. You can't dissect the two. You can't be sitting here today apathetic to the ways of the Lord, and maybe this week you haven't even been in God's word at all and expect to come today and to have a lightning bolt just hit you, to be promoting spiritual health in the church body. And likewise, if the church is not healthy, the church cannot come alongside you individually to promote spiritual health in your individual life. Does that make sense? So uh, when Paul talks about God's building, this word building can be used in the New Testament to refer to the temple. In Matthew 24, uh, before Jesus talks about the last days, um, it says Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, the magnificent structures that comprised the temple. And here that word, that same word buildings that we have is talking in the context about God's temple. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talking about, in Ephesians 2 he says that the apostles 
have laid the foundation, and Jesus is the cornerstone of that foundation. And he says, in whom the whole structure, that's the same word we have in 1 Corinthians for building, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So it's important that we understand, if we're going to understand this text, that the church is referred to as God's temple. So what is the connection here that Paul's making when he says, you are God's field, God's building? He's equating the two. And it's interesting that there is an agricultural connection to the temple from the very beginning of the Bible. Where did God originally locally dwell in Scripture? Of course, we know God's presence encompasses the world, but where did he specifically localize himself? In the very first pages of Genesis. It was in the garden, right? He walked and he talked with man. Of course, mankind sinned and, and, and their relationship was broken. And Adam and Eve were driven out of that first garden temple. You know what's interesting in the Old Testament? We don't have time to get into this, but maybe it'll whet your appetite for further study is that when God commands Moses to build the tabernacle, and then Solomon later builds the temple, God tells um, Solomon, he tells Moses, as they are, are, are building the objects of the temple, as they are putting up the curtains in the temple, they are to be decorated with agricultural items with palm trees, with pomegranates, with flowers that are budding. In other words, the physical structure of the temple was looking back at what was lost, the garden. And when Paul says, you are God's field, God's building, uh, what he more than likely has in mind here is this temple garden You see, God's mysterious plan that has been revealed to us, the wisdom of God that chapter 1 and chapter 2 is talking about, it never changes from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. Aren't you glad that God's plan doesn't change based upon our mess-ups? How many of you think, boy, I have it all together and I have never had to rely on the mercy and the goodness of God? His plan in the great wisdom that he had, that he has, it never has to change based on how bad we mess up things. In our lives, in this world, man, only a, only a, 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 a mighty God, an infinitely wise God can ordain things and not be reliant upon us to carry them out. Man, that's good news. But as we now have in mind, because what I'm, why I'm taking time to set this up for you is because through the rest of the chapter, Paul is going to have temple themes that he's going to talk about that if we don't quite understand what he's talking about, we're not going to get the, 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 the gist of the passage. So with this in mind, we want to continue to look at what constitutes individual believer health church health and unity and how we are to view spiritual leadership 
So we're going to see today that we must cling to what truly matters. And in the context of our passage, what truly matters is that we are clinging to Christ, our one foundation. Let's, let's open in a word of prayer. Lord, would you take our time together as we look at the Scriptures? Father, would you illumine our hearts, our understanding? Would you bring clarity to our hearts and minds? Father, would you help us to be instructed this morning, not by Pastor Adam, but by the Holy Spirit. Lord, without the Holy Spirit, all is fruitless. Father, the very thing that marks your temple is your very presence in the midst of that temple. And Lord, we know that we as the church, as the spiritual temple, Lord, you are in our midst today. We pray that even as we listen, that we would rely completely upon the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, to open our minds. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church unity, church spiritual health, a proper view of leadership, it is a matter of the heart, it is a matter of our focus. And then thirdly, we're going to look at this morning, it is a matter of our mission. It's a matter of our mission. And and while we are going to emphasize, as Paul emphasizes, church leadership here, it is not just the church leaders that determine the mission of the church. Church leaders are uh, are a gift to the body to equip the church, to equip you as saints. So the matter of church mission is a joint endeavor of each one of us. But as we look at the reality of the mission of the church, we have to ask ourselves a few questions. Because the questions do not begin with, what are we doing? What, mission, what are we doing to accomplish the mission? No, it starts way before that. I want to ask you, number one, I want to ask us as a church, number one, are our eyes on the right foundation? You see, as we're going to see in the text, before we can ever start building, we have to ask ourselves, what are we building upon? And we see this in verses 10 and 11. Uh, Follow with me uh, at verse 10. uh, Paul says, according to the grace of God given to me, Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Now there's a couple things I want us to see here. Number one in verse 10, we have to realize that the foundation has been laid. The foundation has been laid. Paul says, I laid a foundation. You may look at verse 10, and if you pull that verse out of context, you could say, boy, Paul, he's taking a lot of credit for himself. Well, not really, because he says, according to the grace of God given to me. You see, no human can boast. The work that we do for the Lord 
is according to the grace that he gives. Many times where we get into trouble is we serve the Lord outside of his grace, outside of what he is calling us to do. We serve him in ways that we feel we ought to do. But in verse 5, Paul says, we are servants of the Lord. And Paul says, one of the tasks God has given me was to proclaim, to lay the right foundation. He says, not only according to the grace of God given to me, but he says, like a skilled master, I laid that foundation. Now again, Paul's not boasting. But Paul is trying to emphasize in the minds of these Christians that where there's division and there's all sorts of yuckiness in the church, he's trying to say, you have to remember what you are a part of. You are a part of something so much greater than yourself. They are a part of God's work. You see, Paul's not drawing attention to himself. He's drawing attention to God's enabling power. Did you know that the same concept is true in the Old Testament with the building of the tabernacle? You may say, Pastor Adam, why are you referring to the Old Testament so much? Because what we are seeing is God's ways do not change. There's not a God of the Old Testament that's mean and angry, and then there's a God of the New Testament that's nice. Uh, that, that's, that's so unbiblical. God's plans and his workings do not change. God enabled individuals to build the Old Testament tabernacle divinely. I have a verse on the overhead in Exodus 35 talking about a guy by the name of Bezalel. And, and, and God gives Moses instructions on how to build the tabernacle. Now, if I was Moses, I would be like, oh boy. This is going to be hard to get these things all to regulation for a holy God. But notice what God says. He presents to him this, to, to Moses, this man Bezalel, and he says, He has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, and notice this as we get further in the passage. To work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. Doesn't that sound a lot like what we read in verse 10? Like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation. Doesn't that sound like deja vu? Isn't it great to know that God who places a calling on our lives equips us for that purpose, right? You don't have to look at me with a day's look, right? It's exciting, amen? And Paul says, I have laid a foundation and he's made clear from the first two chapters of, of Corinthians what exactly that foundation is. It is preaching the foolishness of the cross. What seems like idiocracy, and, and, and that word foolishness is the word we get moron from. Anybody ever call you a moron? Maybe if you were a child of the 90s like I was, I think the term was a little bit more popular. 
Well, Paul says, I'm, I'm happy to be considered a moron because in God's eyes, he has enabled me for exactly what I'm doing. And he says, church, we must hold what God has started in the highest of regard. You know, a lot of people in our culture consider church as kind of an add-on to their, to their Christian life. Take it or leave it. You know, I could watch a service at, at home just as good as I could be a part of a body. Boy, that's looking through the ch- at the church through the wrong lenses. God has constructed this temple and he has equipped the apostles to start it, to get it going as they proclaim Christ. But then he says at the end of verse 10, let each one take care how he builds upon it. You see, we can't conduct the life of the church in just any way that we choose. We can't just say we're going to gather here on Sunday mornings and we're just going to do whatever we would like. We must take care how we are building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ upon the message of the gospel. And the New Testament gives us clear guidance how we are to conduct ourselves as a church. What is to comprise our worship gatherings? What are we to be encouraging in the life of each of us as members of that church? You see, the foundation has been laid. But not only that, but we have to realize, and this may seem like a no-brainer, but boy, we have to emphasize that there is only one foundation. There's not two, there's not three, there's not four. There's one. Look at verse 11. For one can lay no... For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It brings back memories of chapter 1 and verse 17. Paul says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul says, my message was to proclaim Jesus, not to try to to uplift self with eloquent, persuasive words. There's only one foundation. That's not to say that many people, that's not to say that many churches do try to build on other foundations. But those faulty foundations are destined for destruction. How many of you ever, uh, maybe you owned a house or you rented a house or you had to deal with a house that had a faulty foundation? Anybody? Anybody? Probably say, no, I wasn't dumb enough to buy it. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) That was bad timing, Osbournes. (laughs) I'm sure that speaks more to Terry than... (laughs) No, not, not if you are able to fix it. But it's not good to have a a bad foundation to your house or to your structure. The foundation means everything. And it is easy for us as, as 
churches to build upon faulty foundations. Many faulty foundations that are true today is you think of the prosperity gospel that is proclaimed in, in churches across our world, not just the United States, but, but globally, that God will give us just all of our desires. It's not Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's Jesus plus everything equals everything. The idea that if I am truly a committed, Jesus, uh, committed to Jesus, he's going to make me healthy, wealthy, and wise. Many times we build upon the foundation of personality, like we talked about last week. We build upon giftings, but the problem with that is that we are building upon a person, a, 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 a leader, and not upon Jesus. Many churches build upon the wrong foundation of, of a culturally acceptable message that, man, if we can make people feel good, they will come and we'll have a thriving church. But before you know it, the gospel is lost. There is only one foundation, and that's Jesus, and specifically the, the message of the gospel that is proclaimed that is foolishness to this world. Listen, you know how to build upon the, 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 uh, an evidence that you're building upon the right foundation. It's not that everybody's mad at you. And it, neither is it that everyone accepts you. I've often heard the phrase when it comes to pastoral ministry, if everybody's happy with you, you're probably doing something wrong. And if everybody's mad at you, you're probably doing something wrong. There's generally somewhere in the middle. And that's true as a church. That if we are clinging to the scriptures, we're clinging to the gospel, there are going to be those that say Covington Baptist Church is not a good church, they're legalistic, they're whatever it is, um, don't go there, and then there's going to be others that say, yes, this church is standing for the gospel. You can never expect 100% approval. Did Jesus have that? No. No. And neither can we as a church or can we as individuals. There is only one foundation, and that is to take up our focus. So question number one as we look at church unity, church health, it's a matter of mission. We have to ask ourselves, are, are our eyes on the right foundation? Are, is the leadership that we want to, to promote at Covington Baptist Church, whether that's uh, full-time pastors, whether that's elders, are, are, are their eyes on the right foundation? But then there's a second question we have to ask ourselves that come from verses 12 and 13. We alluded to it at the end of verse 10. This, the question is this, are we being careful about what is being built on that foundation. So we are servants, we are ministers of the gospel. In chapter 4, Paul's going to say that he's a steward of the gospel, and a steward must be faithful. So as servants, as stewards, are we being careful about what is being built on the foundation of Jesus Christ? 
Now, how does Paul help us to think along these lines? First of all, he talks about the building materials of the temple. In verse 12, he says, Now, if anyone builds on the right, or if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, and then verse 13, each one's work will become manifest. We're going to stop there. And, and talk about these materials. We have here gold, silver, precious stones. Those seem valuable, right? And, and, and Tim, is this where the three little pigs thing came in? Wood, straw, hay? I get it now. <laughs> uh, so there we have materials that aren't so valuable, right? What do you think is going to be the first thing to burn up? One new experience that we've had since becoming homeowners and moving from, from the, the city of Mansfield into Mainsburg is burning trash. That's, was a, that was a new thing we learned. In fact, it was kind of embarrassing, but you know, I always say no question's a dumb question. Um, I, I called somebody over the first time when we moved in to say, can you teach me how to burn trash so that I don't like cause a fire everywhere? And... Uh, yeah, no question's a dumb question. I learned. But you know what's always good to start that fire? When you have, like, a newspaper, you have paper towels that get it going, and then when you, you have, like, big cardboard from boxes, um, then you really get it going, and it'll burn everything else up because it really gets the heat and the flames going. Well, here you see the same thing with this wood, hay, straw, except this isn't put in a positive context. It's put in a negative one that it's going to be so burned up that there's nothing left. I also had to learn in burning trash that there's some items you don't put in the burn barrel because they don't burn. It just makes a, a black mess. And those things are the things that endure the fires. How many of you am I giving you an education today? Probably nobody. <laughs> Well, I, I'm not going to have this on the screen, but I, again, Paul is not just randomly giving this example as if he's pulling it out of thin air. No, it is because we as the church are tied to what God has done in the past. And Paul, again, is thinking of the church as God's temple. For instance, in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 2, David, talking to Solomon, who will be building the temple, the permanent dwelling place, the tabernacle they moved around in the, in the wilderness, and, and, and the temple was the permanent structure. And, and David tells Solomon, so I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, uh, uh, turquoise, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. The beauty of the temple was magnificent. And Paul is alluding to say, church, you are now that temple. That beautiful, magnificent temple because God's presence dwells, as we're going to see next week, in your midst. Not just within you as an individual, but when God's people gather together, God locally 
is present with us in a unique way. And Paul is, is drawing attention that we are his temple. I like what one individual said. I have, I have his statement on the overhead for you. He says, For Paul, the gold, silver, and costly stones represent what is compatible with the foundation, the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now what will perish is Sophia. That word just means wisdom. What will perish is wisdom in all of its human forms. It belongs only to this age, and this age is passing away with all that belongs to it. So guess what? Just as wood, hay, stubble quickly burns up, it's good to start a fire with, not to keep it going. Just as those things quickly burn away, so does everything that is characterized by this age, this culture, this world. So are we being careful about what is being built on the foundation? Are we building, as a church, things that will quickly pass away? Or are we keeping the gospel of Jesus Christ at the center of everything we do and everything comes from that? As I said, application as individuals, are you occupying your time with fleeting things? Now I know we all have work schedules, we all have responsibilities, but there are things that we prioritize functionally in our lives. Are those things going to be characterized by things that will pass away and you're going to come up empty with all that you put your time and energy into functionally on that final day? You see... If we're going to answer, are we being careful about what is being built in the foundation, we have to look at the building materials of the temple, but Paul also directs our attention to the fires of testing. In verse 13, he talks about these objects. Each one's work will become manifest. It will be revealed. You know what? We can do a good job hiding stuff, can't we? How many of you are good hiders? How many of you sometimes have to to hide that special treat you get at the grocery store so that your spouse or kids don't find it? So it can last maybe more than a day. When I was growing up, uh, um, again, I, I gotta, uh, this, this is a rabbit trail, but um, when I was growing up, my, myself and my, the brother right under me, Jimmy, we were closest in age. We were about two and a half years apart. And that closeness in age in our instance uh, caused some, some dissension and, and rivalry. And one of the best things was when I knew my brother got something, whether it was like um, uh, not just snacks, but even something like a video or a movie that that, uh, that he wanted to watch and didn't want anyone to watch it without him and he'd hide it. I would be determined to go in that room when he was away and find it so that when he got home, like I was enjoying it. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? Ay, ay, ay. I've had to apologize to him for previous activity. Um, and, and I would find it. 
And you know, we're so good at hiding things in our lives, of putting on an appearance of spirituality, of spiritual health. Uh, We can even do that as a church. That man, someone can can come in um, and be like, boy, I noticed these, this and this and this great things. And, and it's easy for any church to, to hide things. But God is the great revealer. And that's what verse 13 says. Each one's work will become manifest. Why? For the day will disclose it. The day is shorthand for Christ's return. And we see that, for instance, uh, in chapter 1 and verse 8. When, when Paul says... Um, uh, or, uh, let's see, yes, at the end of verse 8, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the day when Jesus comes again and he is the great revealer of all things. There is an appointed day of judgment. Malachi chapter 3, again, Paul is, is here drawing upon Again, God's consistency and his revealed plan, the wisdom of God from before the ages ever began. Malachi is actually talking in a temple context with a priesthood. And he says, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. That, that has the idea of like laundry soap or bleach that... that Uh, purifies every impurity. It says, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. The day of the Lord's coming. It's a fire of judgment to those who are without Christ. It is a fire of refining for those that are in Christ. We see that there is an appointed day when all things will be revealed. And listen, no leader, no church leader, no Christian, no builder is exempt. No one can say, God's going to miss this. Each one's work will become manifest. Why? For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. You see, if we are stewards, if we are servants to God, then we will hold an accountability for that stewardship. Church leaders will hold a certain type of responsibility for how they were under shepherds for the flock. Church members will likewise hold responsibility for um, their... uh, building those precious stones upon the foundation of Jesus Christ in the life of the church. And then that, that personal element in our own lives. We all will give an account, but specifically Paul is saying, you hold all of these leaders um, up on a pedestal Because you think they have the right personality or the right gifts or you think they're going to build you up in your, um, the way culture looks at you somehow. And and we're going to see later in the book of Corinthians that they're even letting false teachers come in uh, or individuals within the church that are saying, you know, Paul is, Paul's nothing. Don't listen to him. 
And, and, and Paul says, no, we must be careful. Those whom we are following. So that leads us to a third and final question when we look at our mission of the church. A healthy church, healthy individuals, a unified church. Do we realize that this church is not our own? Do we realize that this church is not our own? It's not Pastor Adams, it's not Pastor Dennis's, it's not any of our deacons, it's not, it's not any of our church, ultimately. In verse 14, Paul says, If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. So that which is truly valuable, which is built on the foundation of the gospel, that which edifies the church body, that which points others to Jesus and not themselves, that which promotes peace, edification, for the gospel to flourish in the church, those are the things that will last. And it says, if anyone's... Uh, it, if, anyone, if what anyone has built survives, he will receive a reward. There's talk about what that reward will be. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19-20, I think, in the context of Paul talking about leadership, get shed some light. Paul says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy to look around and to see individuals that you have promoted the gospel, that you have been influential in their faith, and they are enjoying eternity with you. Paul says, oh, as a spiritual leader, that is our joy, that is our reward. But then in verse 15, Paul also talks about loss. And he says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You may say, Pastor Adam, what is that talking about? What it's emphasizing to us is, again, in the context where Paul's really in chapter 3, focusing on church leaders, he's saying, Church leaders must be careful that they are not building according to the things of this world, the wisdom of this world, because it's going to be burned away. There's nothing to account for it. But also all of us have to be, who are contributing and part of the local body connected, we must be contributing to that which lasts. Because if we are building the wrong things on the right foundation... They're going to be fleeting. In chapter 2 and verse 6, Paul says, Among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or a ruler of this age who are doomed to pass away. See, if you're building things that are doomed, to, building things that are in line with the things of this world that are doomed to pass away, those actions, those services, those attitudes, whatever it is, will pass away. The only consolation that a church leader or that an individual in the church has in this case, it says he will suffer loss, though he himself 
will be saved, but only as through fire. Again, Paul is taking this from the Old Testament. In the book of Amos, the prophet compares Israel to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says, God is going to bring judgment, but they will be plucked out of the burning. In other words, God is going to spare the same fate for his people as he did those in Sodom and Gomorrah. In Zechariah 3, he's talking about cleansing uh, an individual, Joshua, not Joshua that that led the people into Israel, but Joshua, who was going to be a high priest to oversee the temple. He says, he is a brand plucked from the fire. He was saying that Joshua was a part of the nation, and and God had just got done judging the nation. He sent them into exile, but as they're being brought back, God's uplifting Joshua. So Paul is using this expression uh, because it's, it's based out of the Old Testament. Again, God acting in the same way in the present as he has in the past. But the idea here is that though these individuals will not perish in the fire, they are, so to speak, saved by the skin of their teeth or in the nick of time. This is characterized by the minister, by the church leader who is saved but has nothing to show for it in terms of eternal gospel building. And many times... As the leaders go, so the church, individuals, if they are not careful and they are not in God's word and they are not discerning of God's word, will follow in that same trajectory. And Paul is saying, don't follow those leaders that are taking your eyes off of the gospel onto different avenues because here's their fate. Even if they hold to Christ, nothing that they do is going to be of eternal significance. And how we need to apply that to each of our lives. As we close this morning, I want to share with you a truth that uh, Gordon Fee has said that I can't say any better, so I'm just going to read it to you. It would be on the overhead. He says, It is unfortunately possible for people to attempt to build the church out of every imaginable human system predicated or built on merely worldly wisdom, be it philosophy, pop psychology, managerial techniques, relational good feelings, or what have you. But at the final judgment, all such building, and perhaps countless other forms where systems have become more important than the gospel itself, will be shown for what it is. Something merely human with no character of Christ or his gospel in it. Often, of course, the test may come this side of the final one. And in such an hour of stress, that which has been built of modern forms of wisdom or Sophia usually comes tumbling down. And haven't we seen that happen in various ministries? But the good news of the passage is that one does not need to build badly. That which has the character of the one foundation, Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, 
will not only survive any present hour of testing, but will enter the final judgment as a glorious church. And those responsible for such building will receive their due reward, which in itself is an expression of grace. At the end of the day, no one's going to say, look at what I've done. No, we will all bow the knee and say, God, it is your grace. In all the flaws of all of my life, whether it be pastor, uh, church leader, uh, member, attender, wherever you find yourself, of all the flaws in my life, Lord, the fact that you were able to do anything is an act of your grace. But we must seek to be faithful. We must seek to focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus for all of life. We have to cling to what truly matters. Jesus, our one foundation.